0: So I was actually born able-bodied the first, say, nine days of my life. Then I had a missed cop death, so my mum went to check on my brother. About a minute, two minutes later, she came back. I was blue, but from that few minutes where I was still at the gym, that's gym, course caused my cerebral palsy, my mum was great she did
1: everything she could. Welcome back to the Not Quite Pod. Today we've got Sam with us. Sam, do you just want to quickly introduce yourself and let everyone know a bit about yourself?
0: So, yes, I'm Sam and I run Inclusive Fit. So, I am um, a qualified fitness, great fitness instructor, personal trainer. I specialise in um, neuro conditions and rehabilitation. I am also a disabled fitness presenter and I also have self-reporting.
1: <laughs> Quite a collection, and also there's going to be a lot of commonalities between myself and Sam, being a bit of a fitness freak myself, and also both of us having CP. So this is going to be a good episode. Um, just, for, I always ask my guests this question, which is, what if for someone who doesn't know you, tell us your story this far to how you've got here today. So like, sort of, what was growing up like for you? What were some of the challenges? What have you um, gone through already? And then what's led you to where you are today? Yeah.
0: So, I was actually born um, able bodied. So, the first, say, nine days of my life was all honked, shall I say. And then I had a missed cop death. So, my mum went to check on my brother. About a minute, two minutes later, she came back, I was blue, and she resuscitated me. Obviously, took me up to hospital. But from that few minutes where I was starved of oxygen, that's caused my cerebral palsy. So, um, so after obviously all that, I was diagnosed with spastic PCS. Before she, um, and she did. My mum was great. She did everything she could to, like, get all the treatments, physio, like everything you know, like all mums do at that age. Yeah. And, um, and my mum was a teacher, so she really advocated for me to go to mainstream school. She didn't want me to go to specialist provision, she really fought for me to get uh, she wanted me to be brought up exactly to shot like my brother. I got a brother that's like, two years older. She wanted us to have the same sort of experiences of growing up as any other child. Um, I went through for white through mainstream schools. I was infants in primary school, it was all fine you're quite young. Went to secondary school, I was bullied, um obviously you, like, you get there with like, kids from completely different schools or things, to run school. A lot of them didn't quite understand. Or they felt jealous, so I had a TA. I had a one-on-one TA, so I think some of them were quite jealous that I had someone sitting there writing notes to me. Or they thought they were helping me out, but they are helping me out in a completely different way to what they yeah. thought. They thought, oh, this is getting help with her, like I studies, and I wasn't. They were just making sure that I had other notes that I needed. For me to do the work. Um, so that is six, four, like, so years 11 to, from like 11 to 16, that is the worst school, And I just didn't really enjoy school at that time. I actually hated it. Yep. For PE, I was always segregated from PE. So I had, my friends loved it because they could get to do it with me. But I was always segregated from doing it, so, yeah. or doing it by my own separate thing. Um, then I, obviously, I stayed at that school for sixth form because they had the course that I worked do, And yeah. it was easier in the sixth form because you could come and go as you please. You didn't have to stay on site. Yeah. You could avoid it. And um, that was great. Then I went to uni. And uni was fantastic. It was where I could go be myself. I was on campus getting involved with everyone else. And everyone treated me just the same. There was no... Differences there, and then I, when I left uni, I struggled to get a job. It's like I didn't quite know what I wanted to do at that point. I worked for some interviews in London. I, had to do, I did a media course. So I, what do I want to get into? PR or like that sad thing? things. Had a few interviews, didn't get there. Then I got into, I got went to a job fair and got talking to a. Um, a she so a lady that owned a uh, recruitment agency who actually my mum taught about 20 years previous. And she recognised my mum and said, actually, she said to me, the best thing for you to do is get into a company is that you can move around and see what parts of that company is best for you. Mm. A job, an admin job, stayed there for three years, got a dunder, got another job in that admin job, I was there for eight years, hated it. <laughs> and I decided." When I got redundant, I said, like, what do I really want to do? And I still couldn't figure it out. I got a job, a part-time job in effects as a receptionist. And at the same time, I got a job in a nursing home, which is a weekend job as a receptionist. And I quite enjoyed that while I was doing it, but that during this time, I cracked a bone in my shoulder joint. And I've already just started doing Simba. I found Simba, discovered going to Simba classes, loved it. But it's through the rehab. From the shoulder joint that really got me into the gym, it really got me into fitness. And yep. it, so after six months of physio, i was still here, but two then two weeks in the gym, I was up here and I was like, "Oh, there's something to this." And I, yep. and the more I went, the more I saw my CP improving. And then the PT I was working with said to me, "Have you thought about doing this for a job?" And, well, I did a few years ago, I did when I did my summer course, but I was put off because people said I couldn't teach a fitness class. Don't ignore them. If you you will be a very good role model to work with disabled people. Especially with like all oh, your like your story of your shoulder and everything. So then I said, Well, what do I need to train? He told me, Well, you need this qualification, but you also need this one to work with disabled adults. Yeah, so I think, okay, so I googled it, got home, googled yep. it, and up came Instructability. So Instructability was a funded programme that actually stopped this month, It's October. And wow. it, it was there, it's been going since 2011, and it was a funded programme from Sport England where the month that, the of course, disabled people could apply to trying to be a gym instructor, basically. So you get about two or three courses a year. It's like a um, four month. In all the courses, it's a four month process, and all it's about a different eight month process. So you mm. do different again Once you pass that, you get the level three disability qualification. Then you have to do a three month work placement in your gym to try and encourage disabled people to come to the gym to give you proper experience of working with disabled people in the gym yeah. environment. It you that um, confidence and to use your knowledge straight away. Because sometimes if you wait a, a period of time, you forget wh- what you learn. So it's building yeah. that foundations. And I applied, got on, qualified. And literally from the work placement, it's at a time I was in my council gym, I got taken on. Um, it, oh, Wow. It was like at the time it was about five leisure centres, so I yeah. was across to another site that is more accessible and I was there working on the shots teaching classes, helping out with the kids' clubs. So I was put doing the whole work to of everything in that leisure centre. That's amazing. the um, at the time the, the disability sports project in Swindon was quite big, and when I was in on my work placement, I said to the guy that ran it, how do I get involved with this? Because this is what I really want to do. Because well, actually the best way in is contact this person. She wants to get the exercise referral side of things. That's your best way in. If they have volunteer in sessions, you can go and volunteer, and then show how good you are, and hopefully you'll get taken off. So I emailed her. you gave me an email. I emailed her. She got she snapped me up. We're doing about three sessions of volunteering. I've got offered paid work. Amazing. And <laughs> the rest is history, I I'm still work for the council now. I um just finished managing project managing the disability sports project, which has been obviously um it just after COVID, it's had a lot of changes and I now hopefully when I go back to work I'll be a health coach, so there's restructuring and everything going on at the moment. So um but in but also in this time, I set up my own business. So I set up in It. I went and covered the classes just to get the confidence. Because teaching classes is completely different from gym. Yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And going from the back of a class, like the back of a Simba class, going by Simba training to the front of a Simba class it's completely different. Literally, it is yeah. like. Remembering the music, the beats, when you've got to do each bit and, they, and having about 30 people you know in front of you. if my first class at the gym that I went to. Yeah. It was like, well, harder to teach people you know than you don't know. But I have yeah. a of classes across Swindon and that gave me the confidence um, for home in Swindon. Swindon's a community um, authority. It sits in Wiltshire, so there's also yeah. Wiltshire. At, at, at council. Um, Wiltshire council were applying for a symbol instructor. I got a job. I still, I still teach there. I now teach five classes a week there. And when I did walk back in, i I just gone back after teaching myself. They were screaming for me to get back because the ladies <laughs> loved me. They just loved me. And they wouldn't get to any other classes when I was young. I had tough ones this to a lot, and they wouldn't support them because they want me but that's, that's my back pain basically, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, it sounds like um you've got a right um what's the word right you've built right a, a right community around it, which sounds amazing,
0: yeah and, and that's what I'm about' cause i I do one online class a week called Nero hair, this is for disabled people people with long term health conditions and I try and create a community so they're not just coming for that class, they come in to have a chat. They can have a chat so if they've got any concerns about the, the treatment they're having or or they want to have treatment and they don't know where to get referred to, they can openly talk about it to the others in the group who all yeah. have had their own experiences. So they've all got most of them have CP or a neuro condition. So they they actually know had Good experiences bad experiences yep. so they know how that person's feeling so they can actually talk about it they can talk to someone that really understands where they are as well because that's important too understanding a condition the the ups and the downs that condition has is more it's equally as important as the exercise in my opinion. <laughs>
1: I completely agree. Like it's that whole thing of, for me, it's that whole thing. No one gives you a handbook when you have a disability, no one gives you a handbook. And then you'll bump into someone with a problem and you're like, oh, I've got this problem. And they're like, oh, why don't you just do this? And I'm like, I didn't even know that existed. So that's why I didn't know that. So like for me, one of the ones I had that moment with was the access to work scheme. So the access to work scheme for anyone that don't know, in a nutshell, they essentially can provide support for accessing work opportunities whether that be additional equipment you can even get support workers with it it's a very slow process it's definitely got it's definitely got some things that need ironing out but i remember i was going through getting a new wheelchair going through with the sales guy actually he's been on the podcast before ashley um and he's gone to me wait do you work and i was like yes he was like Okay, forget everything we've just done, all the pricing and everything, apply for this scheme and it will reduce the cost significantly for you. But I literally had the moment of, why am I only finding out about this now? Why does no one talk about this? And it's the same thing of like, people go through their journey with, particularly with disability. And it's like, everyone's got a little nugget of information that someone else hasn't got. But no, it's really hard to connect people together to be like, oh, this person knows loads about this topic. And that's what we need to get to is what I always bang on about on this podcast, which is a referral culture. Not everyone needs to be an not everyone needs to be an expert or comfortable speaking about their disabilities, but we should be able to point to other people that can provide the information people need.
0: Yeah, and that's what I try and do even in the class. So my class is half an hour long; it's about forty five minutes long because we have ten fifteen minutes at the start before we even start the class talking and just how everyone's sweets being. If they had a the bad week, they'd it off their chest. So it's a place that they can vent as well or share their successes. So I've got a client who's so got um attacked so it's a different type of mirror condition yeah. and then- she, uh, like when she came back from the operation, she said, Oh my God, I can do this, I can do that. It's got about rehab, or he has gone, I've afforded this up because I did my pre beforehand or the exercise works, so I didn't need to have that part. And they all can tear it together. And that's really important. I find that's really important because one bit of, like you said, one bit of nugget can really help someone else. Like, yeah. I even I had a shit disc in my back, so I had a bulging disc. I to sciatica, I to the CP, I would hardly walk. Pain was excruciating. And when I was going for the treatment, and I had to go private for the treatment, because on the NHS, don't get me started on that. Yeah, yeah. But, um, literally, the, the consultant said, it's a matter of time. Because of my type of CP and the way I walk, it was, it, was, it was going to happen, but it was when. And yeah. he said, I've reported it for the last six, five six years, because I've been active but it's, it wasn't like exercise would ever stop it, but it's just prolonged that period. So now yeah. I know, oh, actually this is common with the PT type of CP, or it could be common with hemipatia if they walk. So actually I know the clients that I work PT, I now putting in exercises to help prevent this from happening. So it really educates me a little bit more, but I can educate them as yeah. well. And that's a really sort of good sort of... They feel it makes them feel better because I think if I can avoid one person from going through what I've been through, I've done my mm. job.
1: Definitely. And I think as well, you're talking about something that me and a colleague at work was at the other day of like when you train someone on something or a certain thing, it almost reconfirms it for you. But then also, you learn stuff that you didn't spot before. So you'll be going through the process of training the person on the certain thing that you're training them on, and you'll go, hang on, this didn't happen with the last person I trained. I didn't think about it this way. Or they'll ask a question and you are set there like, I don't know. That's a good question. And, and it's really nice for that as a trainer or as a teacher, it's really nice to have that moment of actually it reinforces that we're all learning and like the process changes all the time. As you say, like you wouldn't have that exp- had that knowledge unless you'd gone through that experience. And it's really it's it is also the amount of nuance when it comes to teaching people. Right, there's a lot of things that I know just purely by it's just happened in front of me, and I go, "Oh, that's happened before." No one else is out. No one else knows it, but I've just been in that situation where it's just occasionally happened. Um, just quickly because one thing i really want to jump in with you um just because we've been talking a lot about your fitness journey and before we move on to a bit more about you i wanted to ask so did you start your business during covid before
0: yeah so i've been going for 10 years so i started it back in two thousand. wow so I qualified in August two thousand thirteen. I set it up then. The first yeah. two years, I was under my name, so I guess I've in fitness because I yeah. was, I couldn't think of a name. I was like, I put myself under pressure. So my friend said, just set up in your name. It's a short term thing to get you started, get yeah. you going. And I did that. And I then obviously I um when I started um if it's acceptability, we started to going to like come, come conventions the other day and i met i i um was nominated for some awards That's some awards i met um yep. the class that once he he created cover size and i went on board as a master trainer and i worked with another master trainer male who then worked with me on my business and and then i came up with name inclusive Fit because it's the word inclusive i just put the end yep. of it up and put fit on because i am about inclusive fitness that is what i'm about i'm about it's no boundaries, it's for everyone, regardless of power condition, disability, no disability. I work with everyone, I don't turn you away. So and that's what I'm about. I've got that personal knowledge and experience which helps. Even I got I've got PT clients who've had strokes and they resonate with me because CP and having a stroke is a very similar condition. Yeah. And they can actually go, Oh, she, she's if she can do it. It gives me the motivation that I can do it and improve myself to improve my independence. And that's why I named my business how I did. Makes um, sense. I did my PT qualification back in 2018. So I've been qualified a few years, but I didn't I didn't PT until COVID. I had this right imposter syndrome. Ah. A little bit like... Oh, and I was so busy with classes as well, and the classes is like my main focus. Yeah. I I was like, I was constantly, I had a a part-time day job doing the classes. I was like, oh, have I got time to do PT? And when you do a PT course, it's so quick that when you finish, sometimes you don't always have that faith in yourself. and to want to work with someone. It's literally all this information thrown at you and you're trying to understand it. It's only during COVID. And I was thinking about, I I had to go online with my classes and I was thinking, how can I make some money? Oh, I could do online PT. And then obviously, what I did start with when we were in that gap between the first two lockdowns, I I got some face to face clients locally. One had FND, one had spinal condition, and then that gave me the confidence. Oh, I am good enough. I do know what I'm doing. I then I then started doing online PT, and that just, it just grew from there. And then I got all the confidence I needed to say, actually, I do know what I'm doing. I can do this. And and then about two years ago, I, from a CP group, I got one of my longest clients he's got quad CP, I'm her fifth PT in about three years. She's gone through so many PTs because they don't understand her, they try and push her too quickly, she can't walk, and they're trying to get her to do things like an able-bodied person. And then she wasn't sure she could work with me online, so I said, right, let's get on Zoom, let's have a consultation, let me talk to you let me reassure you that this can work. And we did. And then she goes, like, when's we start? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, oh, it's December. I said, "Right, that's our Christmas and New Year, and we'll start in January. It's, yeah. because yeah. so I don't work, I take two weeks off every Christmas and New Year. So I said, let's start in January, it'll be a new year. This then, it's a new start for you as well. Yep. Yeah. And she's, um, in January, she'll be with me two years. Yeah, two wow. years. And she's changed so much, she's developed so much, and she's doing stuff that she's never ever done before. And and that's all from just sat like this on a laptop, like PTing her and getting her to show you the different, working on different parts of her body in the in time when her body's able to do it. And it's just proven to me that it doesn't matter where you are in the world, I can sit yeah. here, PT yeah. you. And that's my knowledge of having CP and what works for me and working with other clients with different types of CP that I can then actually pass that on to
1: them. I am so glad also, so glad that I didn't, because I was terrified that my research wasn't correct then when you were like, I've been training for 10 years. I was like, oh, dear. Whoops. Um, <laughs> but actually that makes a lot more sense now. It was through COVID. That makes a lot more sense. So it's really nice as well to hear that like, almost your business evolved. During COVID, now most businesses did. But I feel like a really tricky sector to evolve yeah. is PT because I myself, yeah, there's only so many home workouts you can do before you go stir crazy. It was yeah. it was a challenging time for anyone that's into fitness. Um, so how did you? How did you sort of? Was that just a, a slow transition into more online clients, or um, or was it a sort of? it all took off kind of thing.
0: It was a so slow transition. I had my day job, I had to limit how many clients I could do. Because yeah. I work in public health for my day job. So during COVID, I was working right through. We were doing like like food box deliveries. We were um, doing like prescription ones, dropping up, picking up the dropping them off to adult people at a We were yeah. obviously doing all the COVID stuff as well. Um, and, you know i like got put in fet with doors so they can show sure people that had COVID were alive yeah. after they'd been back home we had good check on them and yeah. um, so i was working that out with my day job so literally I, I, the classes in the evening was I, I still taught my classes that is my escape route from the day job because when you work during COVID, it's quite a lot you when you work on the front line it was quite a lot of what we were we were hearing quite a lot we we're hearing yeah. quite a lot. So actually it was like you had to take a break from your mind and yeah, yeah. we started doing pt and it was a show film because i think when i was washed into it and had too many clients in my go that i've done COVID, yeah it, getting one client and when i was confident with one client i got another client like and it's slowly that way and then um that's how it evolved because obviously doing COVID, the fitness industry and the local industry took the biggest hit yeah. because it, it received less help from the government. So obviously a lot of places, a lot of gyms shut down, but of the gyms yeah. that I bought at, it closed. it never came back. So I lost four classes overnight. So it was like that transition as well. So, and even when, after lockdown, we were the last, one of the last industries that could go back face to face. So we had to yeah. adapt very quickly. We had to, like... It's like I was in Cuba. I'd, I spent my 40th birthday at the start of March 2020 in Cuba. And I came back a week before lockdown. So I came back into the thick of things, like, what's going on? Oh, wow. Really like a third-world country. You know, we were in a country with no TV. And we were only hearing little snuggits from our tour guide and then we on the plane on the way back the pilot goes yeah the he's this he's is the air the Queen's last flight and we're like oh, what what's going on and then coming back and seeing wow. like oh, dead deserted literally in the middle of the day deserted we could walk through it like not see anyone and then obviously came back wow. in, in the car the driver was telling us everything we're like oh
1: Holy moly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say that must have been quite a shock.
0: And literally I used, I was going to school, I was going to nursing homes teaching classes, and literally had loads of phone calls on my phone. I like, my voice messages that I couldn't pick up a computer. Oh sorry, we've had to cancel the we've had to and it's like one after the other. Oh no. Oh, right, and it's just this- and then obviously going on to instructor groups on Facebook and everyone's going online. So then I oh my God, I've got to go online now. <laughs> Most of this online world, <laughs> which yep. I had to do to save my business. Yep. And that is how it really started at the classes, the adult classes. I did a class four nights a week and it was just keeping that going for my clients. And then the PT evolved around that.
1: It's amazing. I mean, one of my favorite parts of your story, like many people who have a strong love for fitness, I wanted to be a PT myself. Um, never took the leap, and the reason I never took the leap was like I was like, all right, I'm in a wheelchair. How the hell am I going to show someone how to train? Because my my outlook was I wanted to be able to train anyone because I still had the knowledge. I still knew how it all worked. But then I was like, how the hell am I going to teach an able bodied person how to squat? I, 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 it's
0: I can, how do you visualize
1: it? Yeah, I can visualize it, but it's that whole thing of like, oh, no, no, don't do it like this. You've got to do it like this. And it's like, how do I act out? So it's really nice to hear as well that you've been able to build from the sounds of it a very successful, I mean, not from the sounds of it. You can see that you've won plenty of awards, but you've been able to build quite a successful PT business while also having a disability because that was something me as a disabled person into sport i didn't think it was possible so you've clearly made me eat my words which i'm gratefully eating now but um it's really nice to hear it's really nice to hear i have to say when
0: i started working on the uh, strategy for team about 10 years ago there um there was a guy with cp that was the um uh, was that the coordinator, not the banister, the coordinator. And he had CP and in a wheelchair and he was an ex paralympic bench lifter. Yeah. He actually got bronze in that 1982 Olympics. Wow. And he actually taught my tutor on my PT course how to bench press all from verbalizing it. No demonstration. That's insane. Nothing. And that's where I he taught me how to really, it's your, it's your, how you coach your verbal coaching can get someone into a position you cannot do. Like when I started teaching classes, I couldn't lunge. I'll be like, whoa, like, you know, like one foot in front of the other. I'll be like, whoa, I can't yeah. do that. But it's how I spoke them into that position. And, and that, and even now I still do that. So, and even when I do floor work, I can't demonstrate. Over, but, and I do body conditioning. I can't always demonstrate over work, but what I do is I get on my that ladies in the front way. They know what they're gonna demonstrate, go wait, And then my body's for me. And I taught yeah. the technique. So there's ways around it, it's just knowing. Sometimes it's also having like a like a like a, like a circuit card with a position on it so they yep. know and I know some disabled PTs in the real show use that sort of style, so that yep. they can do, you're going to start like this, you're going to end up like this, so they the person can actually visualise before they actually do it. There are easy ways around it. Those are ways
1: around it. That's really cool. Um, have you have you ever faced? Because that was another concern of mine when I was looking into it. Have you ever faced any prejudices being a disability PT, particularly I suppose looking into more taking on able-bodied clients, has there been any challenges when it comes to people's misconceptions and preconceptions of being trained by someone with a disability?
0: Not so much a PT, I've had more of the group fitness side, so they've seen some gyms that won't take me on to cover their classes because they see the disability, so like David Lloyd wouldn't have me, I'm not ashamed to say that, David Lloyd would not have me as a fitness instructor teaching some, they really were clearly nope, and I found that really shocking for a big name like them that they weren't the perfect looking fitness instructor to teach classes. I had it at some other what I call corporate gyms in so the big name gyms, yeah, a few of those. But I found that like, for me, the best ones I tend to just get on with it, I ignore them, yeah, I just get on with my own thing because. And also I find that some instructors, even community fitness instructors, who won't have me cover their classes, they sh- they won't say, oh, it's because you're British, or they won't have me do yep. events, charity events. They act like, I'm little clips, and I just have to ignore it. I, I my, my way of coping is I don't go to that event. If I feel like I'm being discriminated against because of my CP. I won't go and support it. That is my way of coping with it, and I just got on with my own business and I focused all my effort into my own business. Um, because like back in 2017, I became the first disabled fitness center, I've worked with a brand, and that is my way to get them back, you know. Um, yeah, people
1: yeah didn't it's wrong. wrong.
0: I was there on the stages at big fitness conventions leading a seated exercise class. That is my way of sticking my fingers up at them, basically. Because
1: yeah,
0: yeah. they have never reached that level, so I'm like, oh yeah, this is my way to say <laughs> And I am, I can do it, I can teach a class. Yeah. My way, it might not be your way, but it's my way, and I'm good at it. And that is my way of actually getting around it, basically just ignore it. Because in the fitness industry, it can be quite bitchy at times. Yeah. It's competition. And literally, like, if I take Simba, there so many Simba instructors that are in my area, literally. And I now teach Simba half an hour, away To get away from that. Because I don't want to be in a competition yeah. of having about 30 instructors on, in a week to be in a competition with. It's not worth it. Nah. My ways concentrate on me, my own business, what I'm
1: about, not what they're about, and just get on with it basically. <laughs> That's fair. It's fair enough. I do want to dive into, I do have a question for you around the, the issue with some more mainstream gyms, and it's mostly because I like to challenge this point because I I have suspicions about certain sectors. Do you think that the reason David Lloyd were reluctant is because they want to project the perfect image because they're a high end, class was yes. a high end gym.
0: Yes, so obviously they high end, and we did. I did some work in there with work um, back last year, and we. I got a disabled colleague. He's got a spinal cord injury, and he went and asked them about their disabled membership. He wasn't going to join, but he went to ask how much it was, and literally, it's about a hundred pounds a month the disabled, like how the cheapest they could offer yeah. and how many disabled people can afford 100 pounds a month. So I think actually it might not be that demographic, yet there is disabled people that work in the fitness industry that might turn up to an interview at a date for a PT or a fitness class position or even a receptionist position. How are they going to be treated knowing they've got a disability? And that's—it's all about that change of mindset. That actually, if you've got disabled staff, you're going to encourage more disabled people to use that gym.
1: Yeah, I completely agree, and it comes back to a point I always bang on about, which is like the more diverse a team, the more fluid and adaptable you're going to be. Whether that be someone with a disability, someone from a different race, or just someone from a different background, yes. the more p- mixed, more mixed that group is you're gonna have connection points all over the place whereas if every all of them are white and male and middle-aged you're gonna get very much the same products
0: or very young 20-year-old pts in skimpy clothing like which all the 20-year-old female pts do and they all like you the selfies they often they can get clients from just doing selfies of themselves and that's not how you get clients you get clients from showing your clients yeah <laughs> You get clients from showing how good you are of your clients. Not a selfie of yourself. It's from showing, showcasing your achievements of that client. Not not your face, their face. And yeah. that's, I'm always one that you won't see. You won't see pictures of me in my fitness classes, but if I'm PTing someone, it is a picture of my client, not me. Yeah. And that's what I strongly believe in, that is, as a PT, you should always showcase your knowledge, and what you're about with your client. It's not about me. If it's about me, why should I be a model,
1: not PT? Yeah, I mean, you're completely right. And I think I've got a a good friend of mine, slash friend, slash my PT. It's a bit of a cluster. Um, He he always says to me, PT is all about relationships. It's all about (laughs) I know my clients inside and out. I know if they've had a bad day, good day. I can then tailor the program to them rather than them having to explain everything to me i can see he's like even with you i can see if you've come in you've had a bad day and we're just going to have to go through the motions today because you're not up for it and yeah that, and that's okay and i think that's another thing to talk about on the fitness side of things are people expecting to be 100 percent all the time Yeah, you don't i don't really. expect
0: that i I have clients. I, I I got a client with functional neurological disorder, and she'll come on. Like when I was doing her not down, she will be online, and She goes, right, Sam. Today, I am going. I'm starting to go into a relapse. And, okay, what can you do? What can't you do? I was talking to her about what she was able to do, and let you go. Like, do a warm up. You can do a warm up. Do a warm up. As you're doing the warm up, I'm going to think of a separate program we can do today. And yeah changed on the spot and that's how you have to be working with anyone with disability, long term health condition, any rehabilitation type PT because they can come on, they want to do their session, but it might have to be completely changed to fit in around how they're feeling on that
1: day. Yeah, and it's also, I think, because there's there's always going to be exercise that people don't enjoy. I'm not a massive fan of leg press, but I have to do it. and. And I think as well, like one thing that my friend Luke saw banged on about is like, I'll come into sessions and he's like, should we just have some fun today? So it will often be from those days being, uh, obviously starting my fitness career, I suppose, in the sort of bodybuilding space, we'll just go into, right, should we just test your one rep maxes for a bit of fun? Or should we just do something, your favorite exercises like bench press, shoulder press and stuff like that, just to, we're then still going through the motions. And I think that's something as well, like you say, that we need to be more aware of of allowing people any any type of exercise is good exercise. Doesn't matter what you do that day. Like there's a big thing in the, particularly in the fitness culture of like, oh, you got hit legs this many times, arms this many times. This it's, it, no system is linear. Whether it's running a business or fitness, no system is linear. Just keep. I have this little saying that I use with my my businesses and my projects and even my fitness of doesn't matter what you do every day just move the weight a little bit every day if you move the weight a little bit every day you're making progress that's what we need to remember i think
0: it is uh time of it's any movement it's any movement so you might not be able to do a proper bicep curl but if you can just move it a little bit on that day that's better than nothing because you don't if you're not feeling 100 and you don't you can't do that that is still going to work the muscle, you're not going to work the muscle fully, but you're going to work part of that muscle, but more importantly, you're working the nerve, your nervous system and your neural pathways, and with a neural condition that's more important than actually getting your one that maps, or getting that proper higher weight, or I've got to do ten of these, if you just do two, that pathway is starting to be built again, and you're getting all that connection, that connection is getting quicker and quicker and quicker, and if a neuro condition is all about the nervous system, and obviously I'm neuro qualified, so I always focus on the nervous system in my trainings and my clients, and that's how I operate. I don't operate on um, one. I never do one, one, one match with my clients because it wouldn't even work with half of yep. them. You know, they'd be like, what, "What are you doing, Sal? What are you trying yeah. to push me?" And it's about creating things that they cannot do and making sure that they can do them
1: yeah complete and i completely agree and, and to be honest this conversation perfectly highlights as well everyone's training journey is different as we've just discovered it's not some a one rep max won't be something you do with your clients where it's something that i do regularly in my training but that's because our, one there's an element of i enjoy it and two i know my body can manage it whereas other people you have to play to your <laughs> not to be obvious but you have to play to your strengths if it's something that you can't do and it's also as well i think that particularly in the younger fitness industry that particularly those coming into it there's a big culture of like you've got to be lifting big heavy weight straight off the bat and no you just to be honest my biggest piece of advice for anyone training is get your technique right get, it doesn't matter what you do just get your technique right as best you can because if you get it wrong it's not good <laughs>
0: I, I always, even a class, like in my body condition classes or PT, they say, oh, so this weight? No, 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 no. No weights. You're not yeah. doing weights before, you're starting a body weight. Because you need to get that technique right. If you have not got that technique right overweight, weight, you're literally. Yeah. And I always ban on the right technique. You've got to get that technique right before you can go on to any any weight. you, the worst the condition is then it's not, it'll be, it'll be banned to get out the then weights, because if they haven't got a lot of movement in their arms, you don't want to go straight onto weights, because they're yep. going to act the, the problem. And it's, it's working out what that client is suitable for. But I just, I always found about technique for that person. So my my squat technique, the body te- person's technique is completely different. Yeah. So I for them, that's right for me. I'm not trying to create a, known to save an body squat technique with myself. It would never ever happen. No. My knees will never go out. My knees always come in. So it's creating a safe yeah. technique for me and my CP. I'm not gonna force a unsafe technique on any of my clients because that is what this textbook says. <laughs> I
1: Completely. do a force safe version. Yep. I'm completely with you. I have the same thing um, Same thing whenever I'm training of uh, people go, oh, that that looks like that's dangerous for you. And I'm like, I know how my body moves. Similar to, to Sam, my knees fold. Whenever I do a leg exercise, my knees fold in. So you'll always see me, particularly on the leg press, I've always it's got a foam roller wedged between my legs because I know naturally my body wants to fold in. But the amount <laughs> of people go, oh, that's bad for your knees. And I'm like... Look, mate, I can't walk anyway. So what difference does this make? <laughs> like, it's, it's, it's funny because particularly in the able-bodied um, fitness injury and particularly with able-bodied personal trainers that don't have knowledge when it comes to disabilities, I'm very lucky that Luke, who I mentioned earlier, does, thank, thankfully probably to me, but also he's willing to learn, um, they don't have the knowledge of disabilities to be able to properly coach because like they think that the mould that they use works for everyone and it doesn't. And But then that, I suppose, and you're a better position to answer this question than me, is that also the sign of a bad coach? If a coach has a one-size-fits-all mentality, is that not a sign of a bad coach? I think it's how they've been trained.
0: But also it's because in the fitness industry, you've got your general level three PT qualification, which mm-hmm. means you're only absorbed... To teach or work with one on one or small group of up to six people, of reasonably healthy adults. So, if, so that does not include disability, pre-postnatal health, long-term health conditions. There's separate conditions. That is set for qualifications for each of these. So there's like a level three disability qualification. There's exercise referral for on term health conditions. You've got your older adult qualification, your pre-pre qualification. There's also your kids' complication, and these are class of special populations. So and um, ten, there's a lot of PTs out there that will do their level three and think they can work with everyone. They think they they have this sort of ego about them that they say yeah. I can work and. They can't. Let's see. i even seen it with disabled PTs. They do a level three PT, they think they can work with disabled people because they've got a disability. Yet they're not ensured to work with them because they've not got that qualification to work with them. A lot of people don't, A lot of people outside the industry don't realise how complicated it is with qualifications. And if you've not got that level three qualification, and you go, you say, I worked with you and I didn't have a disability qualification, that mm-hmm. means that it you got injured and you sued me. My insurance shouldn't cover me because I can't produce that certificate when you claim.
1: Ah, okay.
0: That's what it's about. And that's part of the issue. As I'm one of these people that I've been working with the fitness, like government bodies for like eight, nine years. And what I'm sort of saying to them is to me, there should be a disability element of every course. Agreed. It's a level, two, level two ETM. Level 3 PT. There should be an element of disability. It shouldn't be, or I have to do that complication compulsory with that yeah. course, because there's more, this day and age, there's more people with a disability and a health condition than those able-bodied people. How many people have arthritis? How many people have got mm. bad back? How many people, you know, mm. have like yep. heart conditions? That so many people, yet actually, these actually the PTs actually they can work with everyone it's this ego that they have set in them yet they often these PTs often have one program they give to every client it's just knocked out for every client literally and I've seen it happen and whereas I work with a client and that that program is set for that client it's not I have not never given one that, that program out for anyone else it is done Individual, bespoke. it is very bespoke. But a lot of PTs, they will either you like have like an app that helps create a program for them, or they have one or two, one or two programs that just use for everyone. They can't they can't adapt for people outside that normal able body thing. So in a way, it could be a sign of a bad coach because it shows that they can't think on the spot, they can't adapt, or they mm. don't want to improve their knowledge. To work outside that yeah, little, yeah, it's a little limit now. And I say this on my trainings. this IQ to the disability competition." They will say that actually, that special populations are now no longer a special population. To me, able-bodied people are a special population because they're in their minority now. Yeah. They're not. Yeah, you know, we are overtaking them
1: it's what I always bang on about when people will come up to me like, Oh, would you ever take a, uh, like wh- why are you that worried about the way the community is going? And I said, because people don't realize, particularly the body community, they don't realize that actually there's a 99% chance that at some point in your life, you're going to end up like us. Yeah. There is almost a zero, particularly when it comes to CP, there's almost a 0% chance that we're going to have a Eureka moment and every problem of ours is going to go away. And like, People need to realise the better equipped the world is for anyone with a disability, the better we're just equipped for everyone, because then no one's got to think about it. If you've got, if you're visually impaired, if you've got a physical disability, you've got a neurological disability, it doesn't make a difference. It's, uh, yeah. it's one thing that really frustrates me with the wider community, with the wider, particularly able body community.
0: And it is, it is ableism, and it's the fact that they can't see disability until it happens to them. Yeah. Until they're in a the wheelchair, until they get arthritis that really means they can't hardly walk, and they have to use walking aids, or they have to use like, stuff that we've relied on all our lives, it's, it's normal for us, then they'll go, and they, then they start to see the world in different eyes. Mm-hmm. It to be a little bit proper... What I call disability campaigners, even on Instagram, are the ones that have been disabled later on in life. They've not been disabled all their lives. They've been disabled. I follow a couple, I'm not going to name them, they've been disabled in the last five, or six years. They have millions of followers, yet people like me and you that have disability all our lives and have suffered, sh- can't even weak days, amount of followers. Yeah, they think they
1: know it all because they've been disabled for five years. <laughs> and honestly, you might as well take the words out of my mouth. It's, it's one of my biggest. I, it's really hard because I understand it. It's because they're able to speak on both perspectives. So I understand that aspect of it. But it's when they get really shouty and I'm sat there like, mate, I've been here for like twenty three years. You've been here for five. What are you getting all windy about? Or it's my favourite thing of like. It's almost a bad thing, but the community that have been disabled longer, they almost have a mentality of, like, that is just what it is. So, for example, like, we, most people that have had a disability their entire life, particularly a physical disability, we know that trains are, are, are a bit of a grey area when it comes to physical disability. If some stations are accessible, some stations aren't. So, like, we take the approach of someone going, oh, that station's not accessible. We go, oh, okay, which one is? Whereas the the ones that have been disabled a shorter period of time often have the reaction of, but why is it not accessible? And it's like, honestly, you're not going to be able to change in a day. So unfortunately, it is what it is. And you've got to work with it, unfortunately.
0: And that's why I drive everywhere because I I live in Swindon. I can drive everywhere. I drive everywhere because it's
1: easier.
0: (laughs) Literally, it comes to me. I can put all my stuff in a boot. I don't have to carry it. I can get in the car, I can drive, park up at a hotel, boom, done. I got no worries about how I'm going to get there and I'm going to get off a train or if a hotel room is like, oh, I can't get there. He went on the I can't get in the hotel. And he did a whole yeah. like, video on it. I'm thinking, yes, this is normal. You know, I think, are you banging too much? Sometimes I think she doesn't count too much. I'm thinking, this is normal just, i'm 43 this has been happening for over 40 odd years so it's not going to change in the yeah. next two or three years ten years you know
1: re- you're not going to it's really hard i understand but besides this is the worst thing with me i'm completely in your camp but i also see the other side of going but if you don't mind about it nothing's going to change and i'm like yeah that is a hundred percent true however it's only like you can do this till we're blue in the face, but till the decision makers are the people with the disabilities or are the ones that are aware of it, you ain't gonna be able to do nothing. Like,
0: I do see that point, you know. But I, well, like, we both, look, when you did with a disability all your life and you've had to adapt, we yeah. know how to adapt probably easier than yeah. what it can because we've had it all our life. It's how we think. It's oh, we have to do this. I think it's I've right up, I've, been, I've been up I upstairs in the hotel on her hands and knees, you could get up them. There's ways yeah. around them. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Can't yeah. I look like? Can we get in?
1: Yeah, I mean that is that is, and to be fair, I've fallen into that trap of not wanting to do something because it doesn't look very glamorous. But yeah, I think it's also like one concern I have, particularly the social media thing, as a sort of last point on it, is I've always thought myself, I I promote myself as someone who's quite positive. I know just said that obviously I, I I respect everyone for what they do with socials, but there is another thing of with me of like why is it that and this actually goes wider than social media. Um, but why is it always negativity? Like there's so, like whenever you see the popular post, it's always something's happened where something bad has happened. It's never someone's had a great experience or something like they've just unveiled this amazing invention that's changed the space. It's always yes. something really bad has happened, and that's the thing that <laughs> makes it onto ITV news. Or oh,
0: it's the people like say like we are up at the cable people that. Won the, I I, I, won, I, won, I, won, I can't talk now, when I won the award. Mm. That that never got as much coverage as some of these people that are mean, it's and that's a positive disability story. Yeah getting as much coverage as oh I can't get into the show, now. That gets far more traction.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's very true. It is so true. And actually one of the things I wanted to ask you as a as a um as a disabled businesswoman Liz, what's one of the biggest challenges you've had with building your business um, throughout the years that you've done it?
0: I think it's getting it out there and making, you know, not so much clients, but it's obviously showcasing that a disabled woman can run her own business and be successful at it. And, you know, you obviously, you know this as a disabled person, we have challenges in our way every day from getting out of bed, getting dressed just, just leading general life and it's the fact that you just got to keep I've learned i just got to keep going and going and going regardless of what's thrown at me it's not to give up you have to keep going and push through the boundaries you've got to push through the negativity and it's about I have a drive I want to be the best I can be and I want my business to be the best I can be and I've always fought push through like when I start working with a brand that I was presenting, I sort of of went quiet for a little bit while I sort of rediscovered myself and now I'm getting back out there and presenting again next year. So I'm sort of presenting my own brand now and now I'm focusing on that and it's making sure that I'm seen as the same as non-disabled instructors. I want the same sort of recognition as non-disabled instructors. I want my brand to be seen as a non disabled brand. Yes, it's aimed partly at disabled people, but it's aimed at everyone. I want my city class to be seen as a city class for everyone, not just because someone can't stand up. Yeah. I want it to be for everyone. And it's having that um, recognition of everyone that I am clever, I can send for myself, and I can speak for myself as well, and that disabled people can be. Dis- because sometimes people think you've got a disability so you're not, it's yep. you haven't got your own mind or you can't speak for yourself and it's just proving these boundaries and proving everyone wrong and I keep going to achieve what I really want to achieve. That's what keeps me going. If something tells me I can't do it, I set out to prove them wrong. Every yeah. single time. Like yeah. That's how
1: it wait. <laughs> One of the worst things I've spotted in, mo- well, not worst things, is one of our best things, but one of the things I've spotted in most disabled people is most of us have got this weird chip on our shoulder. We've got this weird, like, got to prove a point, got to stick it to someone, got to do something. It's it's funny because it's it's a great driver. Like, the worst thing is that can be seen as a massive negative. But actually, it means that we just go get it. Like, that's, that's, how, that's how most of the disabled community work is, like, Look, we've been dealt these cards. We've just got to kind of get on with it where we can and then seen, see where it goes.
0: I've seen, I've seen people with, like, say long-term health conditions that got worse as they got older, and they go, oh, i tried this, but I can't do it anymore." No I go, well, what's stopping you? Let's see what is stopping you, because you can do it. You've just got to adapt to do it. You've just got to yeah. find your own way to do it. Whereas for me, I'll just get out there
1: and do <laughs> it. I mean, I but... Me it comes back to what we said earlier of that one size getting away from that one size fits all thing. It's the same when it comes to PTs of almost people expect you to do an exercise in a certain way rather than doing it in their own way. And it's like, people need to realize particularly as you get older and your mobility goes or something changes in your life. It's just adapt it. You don't have to do it the exact same way you used to do it. And like one thing that I always go on about on this podcast is can we move away from the fact that like, Almost being embarrassed to use a mobility aid—that thing really annoys me. Please move away if, from it; like it's not going to help anyone in the long run. Karen, <laughs> if you're listening to this and you've got reduced mobility, please use the walking frame. It will give you a much better life.
0: okay so when I well, I went away to die, when my back was its worst, and I was using—I got I'm a walk on a walk, an audit walking instructor, so I got walking poles. Yeah, I was using them to walk because I couldn't walk without. On my own, but when I went on holiday, went to North Wales with my family, I hired a scooter. I had no shame in it. I yep. had no shame. And I ha- I went with my four year old niece and my two year old nephew. They actually loved it. They saw it, they called it a bike, and they absolutely loved it. And it's, I was also teaching them to accept disability as normal, but I knew that I would struggle walking with five yards with my back. And it meant I could go out and enjoy my holiday without worrying about having to walk. Yep. But i still use my walking poles because the consultants tell me I have to when I'm out and about. But it gives me that freedom that I can walk a little bit longer. I've got a strength to hold on to if I'm a little bit like wobbly. It also tells other people to stay away from me. If I'm one of these people, they get too close, so I hold it
1: out and try and trick them up. <laughs> I love that. I love that so much. Just as a closing point on this thing, on this segment is um, like you say, it's that whole thing of you don't have to use things all the time. Use them when you need them. Like, cause as you say, it enhances the experience of like, I've got people I know where they know they can't walk long distances, but they refuse to use a wheelchair or walking aid. And I'm like, but if you're, if the aid is going to make the experience more enjoyable, why not use the aid? If you're going to be in pain the entire time, what's the benefit? If we're going out for a nice meal or a nice walk or we're going somewhere shopping, just use the aid. It really is one and of my biggest frustrations. It is, and I tell
0: people, if you don't want to use your walking stick, get Nordic walking poles. You, you can get them at the bottom ends or you can change the bottoms of them. And they're not, they're not, they don't look clinical. They yeah. look... You're going for a fitness walk, so it's not—it's a walking aid in a completely different way. So they're thinner, they're lighter, but they still do the same job as a walking stick, and they probably get a real posture as well. And that's what I try and tell people: like, use these to start because then you don't think you're using a walking
1: stick. I completely agree, and it's that whole thing of like—I think just as a as a proper closing point on the topic of like, we need to move away from the clinical element of evades anyway, it's something we talk about all the time is moving away from this whole thing of like, uh, every disabled bathroom looking like something out of a hospital, every pair of crutches looking like the NHS ones, and all of that we need to move away from one thing I just um, uh, one thing that I did want to talk to you about before we finish up is your presenting you touched on it earlier. How did you get into presenting? Because that's quite a unique thing to get into. It is. It's so technically
0: only the best of the best to basically. You've got to be really good at what you do to present. It's like what I call the top end of the fitness industry, so like a managing director type, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah, script, yeah, yeah, like, You know, and I started working with a band at Sosa, Dark Fitness. They were. They contacted me after I won an award because I didn't... I talk about city fitness and I wrote a blog about how they're working any disabled fitness presenters. And the fact is that Seated Fitness was obviously very slow and designed for eight year olds. Whereas a 20 year old disabled person that's in a wheelchair, they're just going to go, you know, they went to normal speed but shut down. So we created, they created a band called Seated Say and I worked with them on that and they have me present it at events because obviously I was disabled and they built a great to present it to, to um, non-disabled people. And so I presented it, it's called International Fitness Showcase, as it went to Gardens every March, it's one of the biggest fitness conferences in the UK. I have presented it at Move It, which is a dance show. Yeah. And um, IFA, which is like a big fitness event in London, LIW, like and some other, other ones I presented at. And I spent a year travelling around the UK the
1: sent
0: him, Loved it. That's mad. But, that is insane. Yes. I wanted to do my own brand, so I sort of stepped down from the the, the company that I was working for because you get told what to do. When you're working for a sure show now, so you get told you've got to do this, you've got to do that. And yeah. I didn't have much of a choice in what I was doing, if that makes sense. I, I wanted to have my own free yeah. will. So And I've been working with like EMD, who's like the government body, group exercise in um, creating my own class and I have been since 2018 I've been teaching my own class and I think the Covid it's just getting it, everything just gets tilted and then two years ago I took on a full time to comment at work and that finished in April so I had no time to get be, it, my my business you know I was just, just teaching what classes I had to teach the people's clients I had no new ones then part-time in April, I could really focus back on the centre again. I worked with my mentor, who, he's a, a physician centre herself, and he's helped me get back onto that thing. I got my first gig in January with my own nice. class. And it's one thing, I, I want to make these fitness weekends accessible. When you go to fitness weekends, it's all able-bodied people. It's instructors, their clients whereas you don't see a disabled person. And I really want to make them more accessible to disabled clients because if disabled clients like a fitness class, why can't they go to a fitness weekend and enjoy quite a lot in one day? There's no reason why they can't. No.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. and It comes down to that whole thing of catering to a bigger audience and also utilising the Purple Pound, which I constantly bang <laughs> on about on this, on this podcast as I, well.
0: I, I, I that on my too as well. <laughs> <laughs> a banner about it in a disability i keep saying there's a couple pounds you need
1: to dig into this market <laughs> it is amazing how many businesses and people don't realize that like there is an entire market that they're not actually utilizing at the moment and it's it's insane because then you say the number and they're like how much and i'm like guys it's like right in front of you like right? There's an entire market that you're not tapping into because either your product's inaccessible or your service is inaccessible or wherever it might be. And there's no reason, like, why shouldn't you be targeting in that audience? Like, it's like when people go to, oh, my target audience is 30 male and active. Why can't a disabled person fit into that? I mean, that would be me in six years, God, that's quite scary. <laughs>
0: I'm in my 40s, and obviously, like, SVG is CP. Yeah. We know know it's non progressive, but actually, it's progressive with the Asian. And it's like I bang on to people in their 30s and 40s. You need to be active. You need to do this because otherwise, you won't walk in six years, 10 years' time. Literally. But sometimes it's like I bang my head against the book wall because I'm like, actually, yes, the brain damage is non progressive, but the Asian practice on your body and you start producing brain density at 33 that's when everything happens you'll get off osteoarthritis, osteoporosis if you're a an lady, and it's always and that's when your, your mobility will drop but if you yep. do this you'll keep it on a level of field for longer.
1: Completely agree and then also it's that whole thing of just being able to look after yourself and that's just a general thing for anyone I, but then also it's I, so much more important when it comes to disabilities.
0: I tell my clients, when you're 60 or 70, do you want to wipe your own ass? Because if, that's in, if you don't, then you need to exercise.
1: <laughs> completely. And there you go. There you go. If you to, You got to exercise if you want to wipe your own ass. And I think that's a good place as well to ask the last question, which is, what's one piece of politically correctness that you really strongly agree with or disagree with? It doesn't have to be disability related. It can be something completely different.
0: We have, I know we touched on one thing here already, it's just like over, you know, like the ones that people, disabled people that come to say we on live. But at the moment, strictly on, and I actually, this season, I've seen that the judges have got their favourites. They're marking certain people higher to keep them in for longer than they should. And that gets on my, because I think actually not, it becomes a popularity contest not a dancing contest yep. and the last couple of weeks someone should have gone and they've not gone and people have gone out and they shouldn't have gone out so for me that's a bit that at the moment in the current <laughs> I know it's the things going on in the world but it's that you know I'm a dance. I teach dance strictly, so it's a big thing in my life strictly so that's a bit that
1: to be fair, I also just don't like Craig River Horwood. Whenever I watch the show, I'm like, I just don't. You're just annoying. Like, you're not even mean. You're just annoying. And it's like, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'll hold my hands up. My other half, Gina, she loves Strictly. I'm I'm a bit on the fence. I also, particularly like the first few weeks, I'm like, guys, this show is like two hours long. And like, there's only so much dancing around a room you can watch.
0: And the other thing I don't like is all the screaming that they do when everyone's dancing and, like, and the clapping. And like, just stop that. Just focus on the dance. <laughs> <All> <laughs> I want dance. I don't want no screaming. I don't want no clapping along. Just focus on the dance.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I must admit, like it is, but then there's been massive controversy. Controversy. the oh, I can't talk today. Massive controversy when it comes to scoring on Strictly this year. There's been huge controversy. I don't know what's going on there. Like, who who's moderating Strictly scoring?
0: And the, and the fact is, they've got a celebrity who is a professional dancer and you, you are watching two professional dancers dance together and it's like they're trying to keep them in for longer. And then, you know, and then there's another one that's been worked at the BBC for years who they think they're trying to keep in that pool and they should have gone way before now yeah. so it, it's all this sort of like is it a fix is it not a bit? yeah can you score properly because there's really good dancers that they keep marking down and should be scored more yet there's people that make silly mistakes and get marked up
1: Yeah, I think it's really interesting because we were talking about this um with I was talking about this with Gina my other half of the whole debate of like should they allow qualified dancers or previously trained dancers on the show. And I think it's really tricky because ballroom and any other form of dance they are very vastly different. Like we all know but we all know that street dance and ballroom are very different. But so that like that is where I'm like I don't see any reason why they shouldn't be in the show. But then I do think when marking them, it should be considered that they've got sort of advanced experience. It,
0: and also, it doesn't matter what style of dance they do, they can pick, because they've got that basic knowledge of whatever dance you do, they can pick up a routine a lot quicker than a non-dancer. Very true. And that needs to be taken into account as well, But they can pick it up in a day. But when I go to a similar event, I can pick up a routine like that because it's ingrained in me. It's my job. I can put it yeah. I can watch it once, and I know it. But if you're a non-dancer, you can't do that. You haven't got that that mechanicality training on the beach. to learn how to when to come in. It's going to take you much longer to be able to learn those basic steps.
1: That's uh, fair. Yeah, I agree with that. Just as a closing thing, um, which I give every opportunity, uh, every guest this opportunity, which is. Where can people find you? So if they want to follow you, if they want to get in contact with you for some training, where can they come to you to get, get that? So I have my website, which is www.inclusivefit.co.uk.
0: My email is sam at inclusivefit.co.uk. I'm on social media and i just at Inclusive Fit. I'm also on YouTube at Inclusive Fit. And, um, so, and um, follow me. Um, any advice you need, just send me a message. Do so you want to join my NeuroPet class, that's every Thursday night at 6.15. So we went about 7 o'clock, Wafi, we'll but it's got a bit of chat then it's got a half an hour four style class. You can do it stood up, sat down. You do it in your own time. You don't need to keep up with me or anyone else. It's your workout. Um, but any questions, just pop me a message, an email, whatever fits your boat.
1: <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much for coming on, Sam. It's been a great discussion. Um so, yeah so- all the best. Have a good evening. And you. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode of the Not Quite Podcast. Please make sure you follow us on TikTok and Instagram to get regular updates about the podcast. <laughs>